You are about to listen to the Friends of Anchor podcast, which keeps you up to date with the inspirational work of the Friends of Anchor charity and everything that it's doing to support cancer and haematology care in the northeast of Scotland. Hello and welcome to the Friends of Anchor podcast and our final episode of 2022. I'm Mike Elder and in today's show I will be interviewing Matt Huntington about his fundraising endeavours, recalling the efforts of the flying anchors and suggesting some world record options for anyone up for a challenge. Let's begin by hearing from Erica Banks about various Christmas and end-of-year matters involving Friends of Anchor that she would like to highlight for us. Well, we're into December now, so quickly approaching Christmas. And for us, there's a lot that we do around this time. Of course, there's no easy time of the year to be in the Anchor Unit 4 treatment, and Christmas is certainly no exception. So we try and do what we can to bring a little bit of festive cheer into the Anchor Unit. We do get into the festive spirit, and the team, the wellbeing team, and our volunteers in the hospital will be dressing up as Santa's elves and handing out Christmas gifts to patients and staff. All things that are made possible thanks to the kindness of donors. So that's what happens within the hospital during December. Okay. So away from the anchor unit, the festive fun also continues with the fundraising. And there are lots of different things going on every year, really. We do like a bit of Christmas. This year, we've also switched on something a little bit different, which is in the nature of gift certificates, I suppose. So these are a fantastic solution for Secret Santa, or if you have someone on your gift list who just has everything and there's nothing they could possibly want for. We all know someone like that. We do indeed. So this year, it's a chance to give a supportive gift to somebody within the anchor unit. So that ranges from a £15 donation that could buy a pack for a patient embarking on treatment or moving to a different point in their treatment, or a £20 gift could buy an hour of our massage therapy or a reflexology session. So there are a few different options going up to the £30 price mark so it depends what your secret santa budget is but there is something for everyone so the options are all outlined on our website at friendsofanchor.org and you can just tap on christmas and shop super no that sounds great what else would you like to tell us about well the christmas shop is in full swing just generally we've got fantastic stocking fillers great things for if you've got kids who are having christmas eve boxes We've got reindeer food to sprinkle on the lawn on Christmas Eve. Amazing. We've got magic Santa keys so that if you don't have a chimney, Father Christmas doesn't encounter any problems. We have a lot of really nice festive goodies. So if you are doing Christmas shopping just now, please check it out. Brilliant. Sounds as if all angles are covered. And staying on that festive theme, a big shout out to our volunteers in the welcome teams because over the festive period, our group of 60 volunteers will still be gifting their time throughout that festive season so that regardless of when you were in for treatment, there's still a friendly welcoming face there for questions and to help you find your way around the unit. So yeah, a big shout out to them for gifting their time. And finally, we are coming to the end of a significant year for Friends of Anchor. We've been celebrating our 25th birthday all year in 2022, and that is soon coming to a close. So something that we'll be doing that you could keep an eye out for is we're actually pulling together all of the numbers from the money that has been spent right from day dot right up to the end of the 25th year so that we can share with supporters and members of the public what's been achieved thanks to that support. So it's going to be really exciting actually to to pull those reports and to pull together those spreadsheets and see wow this is how much equipment has received and this is how much this department has received. So it's a really good exercise for us as well. Our longest serving member of Friends of Anchor right now, our director Sarah Jane, she's been with the charity for 12 years. So almost half the life of the charity. It'll be amazing to see what has been achieved in those 25 years. And for a lot of those years as well, we've got supporters who've been there that entire duration, right from 1997. So that'll be a great exercise this Christmas. Absolutely. 
My guest for this episode's interview is Matt Huntington, a remarkable fundraiser for Friends Vanka, who began our conversation by telling me a bit about himself and how he came to be involved with the charity. I live just outside of West Hill with my wife and three kids, and I've lived in the area for about 27 odd years now. I came up here to work. My younger sister, Kathy, was treated and cared for by the wonderful staff at the Anchor Unit when she was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer back in 2016. Kathy was due to take part in Friends of Anchor's Courage on the Catwalk event in May of 2018, but sadly she passed away just a few weeks before that event. So this is why I have a connection with Friends of Anchor through my family. And that is such a special connection. And I think she was excited about that prospect of doing the Courage on the Catwalk event. She was uh, really excited. You know, it gave her an emotional and uh, psychological lift when she was invited to take part in that event. None of us actually, to be fair, knew a lot about Friends of Anchor. But when she was invited to take part in it and started taking part in the rehearsals and meeting all of the other uh, models that were going to be taking part, she was really, really excited. So, yeah, it was a great shame that she didn't make it to take part in the event. And I believe that things had progressed to a point where she looked as if it was going to happen, but then it just wasn't possible in the end. Yeah, that's right. It was approximately four weeks before the event when she sadly passed away. Kathy had been attending a lot of the rehearsals with the other models and meeting all of the people at Friends of Anchor. She had even done a pre-recorded radio interview with the local radio station as well, which is quite emotional to listen back to. Um, so yeah, very, very close indeed. And, uh, you know, we were very touched by the fact that Friends of Anchor remembered her during that event. Um, that she wasn't there for. And your response has been to fundraise in her name, I think. That's right, that's right. Some people think I'm a little bit crazy, but um, it was quite effective. So in 2019, I started getting back into running. Completely got the bug for running again, and maybe that was an age thing. I just perhaps enjoyed it and appreciated it a bit more. And then during the pandemic, I was doing a lot more running because we had a lot more spare time. And I started thinking about what I was capable of doing. Where was this going to take me? And I'd also had in the back of my mind for over a year that I would like to do some kind of fundraising for Friends of Anchor. And traditionally, a lot of people think, well, maybe I'll go run a marathon and that's a big thing and raise some money for a charity at that point in time. But I wanted to do something that was quite unique, quite special to say thank you to the Anchor Unit and thank you to Friends of Anchor because the way that they supported Kathy during her treatment and her time there was very unique. And it just felt like I wanted to give something back to them. Terrific. So you hit on the idea of, of what exactly? Yeah. So thinking about what kind of events were coming up, there was nothing really on the horizon during the pandemic. So when I was out running towards the tail end of 2020, I came up with this crazy idea of I wonder how far I could run if I ran every single day. So I dreamt up this virtual challenge to run at least 10 kilometers on every calendar day in 2021. I called the challenge 365 Days of Courage for Kathy. This was in memory of my sister, including the word courage there because she was going to be in the catwalk event. But my challenge also included running at least one half marathon a month and also to run my first ever marathon as well. Wow. And talk me through doing this in a pandemic. Yeah, that was quite unique because 
People were very wary of meeting up with each other because I was quite used to running with friends, either in a club or socially, but I was doing a lot of running with my family, with my wife, Emma, and with my daughter, Amy, as well, you know, who do quite a bit of running themselves. But yeah, it was a tough challenge. Running every day was quite tough at first. Although 10 kilometers isn't a long distance, I mean, it is a big distance for some people, you know that, but it's not a long distance. But when you try to do that every day, it takes a little while for you to learn how to adapt to the cumulative effect of doing that. And I was quite worried about it at first, but I thought I needed to do something that was big enough to capture people's imagination and hopefully say, this guy's crazy enough to try and do this every day of the year. <laughs> we'll, we'll give him a little donation to help Friends of Anchor. So I didn't tell anybody about it until the middle of February. So I did about six weeks of running and then my wife was wondering when I was going to have a day off and that's when I confessed to her what I was up to. So Emma was a little worried at first, mainly about the physical aspects, you know, because she was a runner too, but she was incredibly supportive and I couldn't have done it without her support and the advice and the love that she gave me as well. It was absolutely brilliant and there's a bit of a standing joke that she was my chief nutritionist for the year as well, making sure I had plenty of calories. Fantastic. Yeah. And you managed to get through the year without injury or without any hiccups along the way? Uh, no major hiccups. I ran every single day, did at least one half marathon a month, which was pretty good as well. And the half marathons tended to be something a little bit special. So, for example, in April of 2021, I set myself up a route which included running the Park Run route in Hazelhead and the Park Run route down at the beach as well. And then I ran in between the two locations. My sister was a big fan of doing the park run. I think she did 48 park runs and she would do the ones at Hazelhead and more frequently the ones at Aberdeen down at the beach there. And April was the month of her birth. So on her birthday, we did that special route where I ran the Hazelhead park run route and then down through town and then Great. ran down at the beach. And that was the first time I met face to face with Sarah Jane and Erica and some of the other team as well when they were running with me or down at the finish line. Fantastic. So it became an activity where others joined in from time to time or you had some support along the way? Oh, I had heaps of support, Mike, absolutely heaps. And I think that's what made it more enjoyable, more fun, more memorable as well. Throughout the year, I ran with a lot of different friends and family and colleagues and people were getting in touch with me that I didn't know who wanted to run with me and people that perhaps I'd lost touch with as well, ex-colleagues or friends from afar. Running is so much better with friends. Do you ask anybody who, yeah. who runs with a club or whatever? It's much more fun. It passes the time more quickly. You get to catch up with people and it's a great way to meet new people as well. I mean, I've met so many new people over the last couple of years who are avid runners and fundraisers as well. And then I mentioned I ran with my wife and my daughter quite a bit. Uh, my sons, Joe and Sam, they also accompanied me sometimes on the bike, which was really, really nice. Terrific. Yeah. And in terms of the word spreading, was that through social media? Was it through the likes of Strava? How did the word spread particularly about fundraising? In Time Honor Tradition, I recorded everything on Strava. Of course. It was a standing joke. If it's not on Strava, it doesn't count. And that was my way of recording all of the runs and being able to provide some kind of evidence as well that I'd done all those runs. So word started spreading about that. I was not very au fait with social media in terms of how to broadcast this and try and achieve the most out of it. So I had quite a bit of help from Friends of Anchor and from my daughter as well. She's of course. pretty good with the social media. 
at first it, it felt a little bit uncomfortable for me to try and sell this to tell everybody what I yeah. was doing but it became very clear that a lot of people were very interested in what I was doing and I had provided regular updates throughout the year with different runs with the half marathons and running totals of where the fundraising was how many miles I had run and everybody kind of jumped on the back of a journey and the following gathered pace during the course of the year so uh, it was it was great and did you have a particular figure in mind that you'd set out to reach yeah this was a challenging conversation at the beginning because when i first explained what i was going to do to sarah jane back in february of last year i think she was a little bit taken aback it was the first time we had met we were on a zoom call with a mutual friend I'm not entirely sure what she thought, to be honest with you, Mike. But then we talked about, you know, setting up a fundraising page and what kind of target would I like to achieve. And I genuinely had no idea how much support that this kind of challenge would gather. So I set myself a target of £3,650 because it was 365 times the 10. So it kind of made sense. And I thought if we achieved that kind of number, then that would be quite good. I would be quite happy with that. Sure. Yeah. But in fact... In fact, it was phenomenal. Go on. And it's quite emotive as well when I talk about this. So in addition to the fundraising pages that we set up, we also organized a 5K fun run in the Denect Estate. This is an idea I got from some other local runs that were being done for Friends of Anchor by the Red Run Group in Kintore. So we were lucky enough to get permission to run this in the Denect Estate which is, is a beautiful place to go running in there. And I had a lot of help from my friends at Jog Scotland West Hill. The committee and the members there were very, very supportive to help me organize and run that event. So we had nearly 200 people turned up Wow! on the evening. We were blessed with amazing weather, blue skies, and everyone was enjoying being there together because it was pretty much one of the first events that was taking place after all the social distancing constraints that we'd been living with through the pandemic. That night alone raised just under £4,000. Wow. Which is incredible. Everybody was very, very generous. So that amount, on top of all the other fundraising, came to just over £34,000, which was well beyond my expectations. A very lovely tribute to Cathy, you know, in Mm. her memory. And fantastic for the charity and the Anchor Unit, because I know that Friends of Anchor will put that money to good use with the, the care that they provide for patients and the research work that they fund as well. And any advice or top tips for all those runners out there at varying degrees of commitment and expertise, if that's the right way to put it? Do something that's going to push you, but, you know, look after yourself as Mm. well, because it is pretty toiling on the body, you know. Yeah. Make sure you give yourself the rest, says the man who ran every day of the year. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, look after your body, fuel it properly and um, soak up the support that you get from people because it helps a lot people coming along to support you, sending you messages of support, and then remembering why you're doing it. For me, it was like my personal challenge, but I was doing it in memory of my sister. That was just incredibly motivating. All the time I kept thinking, I've just got to keep going here, do something which is really, really special, raise a lot of money for Friends of Anchor, and raise awareness for the charity as well, you know, because there's opportunities when you do this for some publicity for the charity, which helps to get the charity in the public domain. And even though it is well-known locally, there's no harm in getting more publicity for the charity, is there? Absolutely not. 
And finally, Matt, were there any particular moments or occasions that were especially memorable and significant for you when completing this challenge? It's really, really difficult to pick one thing that ranks above anything else, but I definitely have some favorites. Go on. So running my first marathon was pretty cool, but made even more special because my daughter, Amy, decided that she wanted to do it with me. Fantastic. So at 18 years old, she was one of the youngest runners on the day at Loch Ness Marathon. And it was a huge physical challenge for her. And I was really, really proud of her achievement. It was tough going. There was a bit of emotion during the run for both of us, but that was a highlight for me. The 5K fun run in Denect, that was really special because that was people coming together to have fun, to raise some money in my sister's memory and supporting Friends of Anchor. So that was really special. And that's not something that we planned at the start of the year either. It was like a bonus, effectively. Great bonus. And then on the final day of the year, so day 365, During the course of the last couple of months of the year, people were saying, what are you going to do on your final day? Can we come along? So we issued an open invitation for people to join me for a final 10K run. And we did this in a park in the middle of West Hill. So I think probably over 100 people turned up at midday on that final day. Runners of all ages. I'm not too sure what the youngest was, but there were some young kids running around the park and some older runners as well. And my 12-year-old son, Joe, ran his first 10K as well. Terrific. And my older son, Sam, managed a bit of running as well, despite the knee surgery he'd had. But when I reflect upon the entire year and I look back through those photos, I guess when I was going through the year, it was a little bit like going through the motions in a way because you thought, right, what's next? What am I going to do today? Where am I going to run? And it's almost like ticking them off or counting them down towards the end of the year. But when you look back and you realize what was achieved, the continuity through the year and all the money that was raised... When you're doing something like that for somebody that you loved and you miss a lot, you just realize how special it all was. And I couldn't have done it without the support of my family and particularly my wife. But the generosity that everybody showed in their donations and the messages of support were really, really welcome. And I just hope that somebody else maybe saw... um, what was achieved collectively last year and is a little bit inspired by it. Maybe it'll spark an idea in somebody's brain to do a little bit of fundraising. It doesn't have to be as crazy as what I did, <laughs> but it was just an incredible experience and I'm really, really proud to be raising money for Friends of Anchor again this year. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to more things in the future and more fun. As you heard Matt say, he is still raising funds for Friends of Anchor, having taken on a new challenge this year. He is planning to finish off that challenge before too long, and we will make sure to provide an update on his achievements before that happens. Having shared with you one 1999 news item for last month's From the Archives slot, I couldn't resist bringing another Press and Journal article from that year to your attention this month. And for much the same reason, both articles tell great fundraising stories and they each immediately capture the attention with a very striking image. In this case, the photograph seems to show four nurses levitating as the picture is taken from below them and they've all jumped up clear of the ground and appear to be on the brink of floating upwards using a couple of overlapping golf umbrellas as an impromptu ascending parachute. The article then explains that the nurses, along with another friend, were planning a parachute jump to support Friends Vanka and had got their fundraising efforts off to a flying start as a result of the donations that they had already received. 
the group of five had become known as the Flying Anchors and had decided to leap into the unknown in order to raise £7,000 for a special bed designed for cancer care. The budding parachutists had clearly gone all out for the cause as they had each adopted an individual persona for their charity jump, becoming Silly Sharon, Mad Martin, Nutty Nicky, Loopy Lisa and Maniac Marianne. Epitomising the trepidation felt by many charity fundraisers who admirably push themselves beyond their comfort zone, Marianne commented, we're all crazy and decided to go for it. I'm going to be terrified, but I'm sure that it'll be fine once we're out there. Moving on, it's now time for my wife, Alison, and I to continue our discussion around the theme of finding the words by talking about our experiences of telling friends and colleagues about the cancer diagnosis that I received in November 2017. Thanks for joining us again, Alison. I know that you love it when I fling interesting questions at you, so perhaps I can start by asking you why we felt the need to tell people about my diagnosis. After all, lots of people receive all kinds of difficult personal news and don't feel the need to share it with others. Thanks for that nice and gentle introduction to today's topic. I think it's fair to say that I had no idea what I'd let myself in for when you talked me into getting involved in this podcast. Having said that, you've asked a really important question, as I think there are various factors to be considered when deciding on how much we share with others. At the time, I think we dealt with things pretty instinctively. Looking back now on that period, I realised that some of our actions were probably guided by some questions that we didn't even realise we were asking ourselves. At this point, I'm going to take pleasure in saying that I'm usually the one who ends up speaking in code and gets asked to explain what I've just said. So perhaps you could tell us a bit more about those subliminal questions that we didn't even know we were trying to answer. In fact, I think it probably comes down to one key question. Something along the lines of, why should I tell this person some news that's quite hard for me to talk about and may be quite difficult for them to get their heads around? It's certainly the case that people can react in lots of different ways in such circumstances. And there can also be all kinds of factors that affect whether or not we feel that it's helpful and appropriate to mention a subject that can easily become an awkward conversation stopper. So what were some of the factors that led us to share the news about my diagnosis with others? Well, some people needed to know simply because our lives were intertwined with theirs for friendship, work or church reasons. And it was therefore important for them to be told that you were going to be out of circulation for a while and why. Beyond that, I think we were influenced by the following considerations. We were happy for people to hear the news from us directly and for them to know that we were willing to talk about the situation because we wanted to avoid some of the awkwardness that can arise when people hear about a situation secondhand or are not quite sure if it's common knowledge. Also, we were keen to get as good a balance as we could between acknowledging the challenges and risks that came with the diagnosis and treatment, while at the same time wanting to express our appreciation for the quality of support and care that we were receiving from all quarters and we knew that there would be quite a number of people who would want to stand with us in the situation, including a good number, who would commit to praying for us. So we were very keen to keep them up to date with the situation and any developments. So what kind of approach did you take to passing on news that you were still coming to terms with yourself? Well, first of all, I would always see people face to face if at all possible, and I would try to be in touch sufficiently regularly for it to be natural to give updates. For example, by the time I was telling people that you had cancer, many of them suspected that this might be the case because they knew about the investigations that you were having. That certainly made it easier compared to with all of a sudden having to go for a big reveal of the situation. And did you have some kind of script in your head for what you would say? Well, definitely not a script. But as you will appreciate, self-preservation was very much the order of the day at the time. 
so I did make a conscious decision to focus on the facts, to try and not go into too much detail and to be ready for any questions that might come. And what we found fascinating and were not really prepared for was that people reacted in so many different ways. Yes, there seems to be something about cancer as a word and an illness that means it can trigger all kinds of responses. Some people became quite upset. Perhaps it was the first time that anyone that they had known had had such a diagnosis. Others started to tell stories of friends or family members who had had cancer. Not always it had to be said with a positive outcome, while there were also those who didn't know how to handle the situation and just felt awkward. In making those comments, I'm not being critical at all. It's just a fact, I think that because it's difficult information to receive, we don't always manage to respond in a way that is likely to be helpful to the person that's telling us the news. And it's actually one of the main reasons I was happy to come and do this slot with you, as sometimes we only learn from experience our own or the experience of others, and sometimes it's helpful for us to think ahead to a situation and to think about how we might deal with it if we're to find ourselves in that position in the future. And it was definitely the case, I know, that you felt really supported by many people, So what did that look like for you? What was it that those people did that you really appreciated? Well, as you know, I can be quite a realist. And it was actually very important to me that people were honest and real about the situation. It made a huge difference when people were willing just to listen and give a metaphorical hug, sometimes a physical one as well, rather than saying, for example, it's all going to be fine, or I'm sure that Mike's treatment will be successful. They were willing to stand with me on that ground of uncertainty, where I had no guarantees that everything was going to be all right. And they were willing just to be with me in that uncomfortable space and to acknowledge that it was difficult and painful and hard. And because they did that, they were also able to find the right words, if indeed they said very much at all. I don't think that everyone would necessarily feel the way that I did or would want that kind of response. But for me, it was an honest and meaningful way of dealing with what was inevitably a very tough time. Many thanks, Alison. I appreciate that you weren't necessarily looking to revisit some of those feelings and memories today. But as you've said previously, our hope is that some of the things that we discuss in this Finding the Words segment will be of interest and will help others. We're going to leave it there for today, and I think that you are very happy to move on to next month's episode as you will be able to turn the tables on me then. Yes, having been cross-examined so rigorously by you today... I'm looking forward to being the interrogator next time and to asking you about your experience of telling others about your diagnosis, especially in your work context. I shall brace myself for some interesting questions. In the meantime, if any listeners would like to get in touch with comments or feedback, please email us at foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk. We will be delighted to hear from you and we very much hope that you will join us next time for Telling Others Part 2. I was so inspired by Matt Huntington's tales of his running exploits that I decided to use this episode's and finally slot to provide some suggestions for any listeners who have been prompted by Matt's remarks to consider taking on an unusual and demanding fundraising challenge. Aiming to set a new world record always captures the attention, so here are five ideas for raising money that came to mind as I browsed the Guinness World Records website looking for inspiration. Number one, it's tried and tested, so why not check out whether you can find a preferred running challenge to your liking? The options, after all, seem to be endless. For example, Ian Stewart holds the world record for the fastest half-marathon completed by a male dressed as a rotating puzzle cube, achieved when he completed the 2018 Great North Run in 1 hour 53 minutes and 38 seconds, 
raising funds for Asthma Research UK while doing so. So, whether you fancy running in a wetsuit, dressed as a Disney princess, or handcuffed to a companion, the chances are that there will be a running record tailor-made for you to aim for. Option number two is again on the running theme and is a bespoke suggestion for Matt Huntington to consider as his current challenge will be coming to an end shortly. Having heard him speak so passionately about running the Loch Ness Marathon with his daughter, I wondered whether he and Amy would fancy going into record books for running the greatest number of marathons undertaken by a parent and child. Just another 102 marathons would do the trick, Matt. But if you do decide to go for it, please let Emma know early doors. And for a third possible record to target, I decided to take inspiration from world records associated with Aberdeen. Turns out that Aberdeen still holds the record for the largest gathering of soft toys, with 7,586 such items being donated by members of the public in January 2014 to raise funds for the Children First charity. So what kind of collection will you mastermind? For option number four, I was keen to suggest something that could be taken on by the Friends of Anchor Wellbeing team, but the stakes seem to have been set quite high in their area of expertise. Nevertheless, if they fancy creating a new benchmark for the longest head massage chain, all that is required is to gather together 579 volunteers willing to give a head massage to the person standing in front of them. I'm sure that Erica would give it a go, so that leaves just another 578 volunteers to find. And finally, in this and finally section, if you're feeling that the options presented so far have all been a bit too energetic for your liking, why not go for a challenge that you can take lying down and set a new standard in my all-time favourite world record category, the largest sequence of human mattress dominoes. The record was first achieved by 80 people at the Channel 9 studios in Sydney in 2009. Since then, it has been attempted and broken on multiple occasions, always making for great viewing on YouTube. The current record was set in 2019 and featured 2,019 people, one person for every year, toppling their mattress backwards into the person behind. And if anyone out there does fancy creating a futon fest in Aberdeen, please do let me know and I'll be there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us for this episode. We would love to keep in touch with you, so please click on the link at the end of the show notes to sign up to receive news and updates about the Friends of Anchor podcast. And please do join us next time when you will be able to hear more from John Greensmith, our guest in episode 3, this time including his reflections on taking part in Brave, the very special fashion show that Friends of Anchor puts on annually. That's all for just now, so we send huge and heartfelt thanks to everyone who has taken part in fundraising for Friends of Anchor this year, and also at any point during the 25 years that the charity has been going. Your efforts have helped to change people's lives and are appreciated more than we can say. We hope that you and your loved ones have a very special Christmas, and just think, you'll be able to download our next episode straight after the bells on Hogmanay. What a treat to look forward to. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you and your podcast where you want to go. 